Nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived on this earth. He lived for about 33 years around that time. For three of those years, he was actively traveling all around the little area of Israel. And there he was teaching, he was preaching, he was healing people. He was arrested after that on some trumped-up charges by the Jewish authorities. He was sentenced to death by the Roman authorities. He died a horrible death on a cross, crucifixion, something so barbaric that we would never even imagine doing that to someone now. Laid in a tomb, but much to the surprise of almost everyone, three days later, he came back to life again. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses, which makes this the most well-documented miracle in all of history, 500 eyewitnesses. That's way too many for some group hallucination to occur. They saw him. They talked to him. They ate with him. And this morning, I want to tell you the story of two of those eyewitnesses who saw him after he came back to life again. And the reason we know their story is because a doctor, a physician, whose name was Luke, thoroughly investigated everything that happened in the life of Jesus and wrote a two-volume account of that. What first volume is called the Gospel of Luke, the second, the book of Acts. But in the Gospel of Luke, he tells his story, and it's in your notes. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. It says this, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, what same day? The same day Jesus rose from the dead, that very first Easter Sunday. They were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened, about Jesus being arrested, about the crucifixion, about all of that, and about some rumors that they had heard that people had gone to the tomb and his body wasn't there anymore. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. They're walking along that seven-mile stretch talking. They're talking about what happened to Jesus, but maybe they're also talking about what's going to happen to them. I mean, after all, they were followers of Jesus, and if they did that to him, then maybe that same fate awaits them. They're probably discussing how it could possibly have happened because they assumed he was the Messiah, the, the leader of Israel, a political uh, figure who was going to throw out the Romans. How could he possibly be killed? But it says Jesus appeared to them. Now, I don't think he just, you know, came suddenly there, probably walking along the road, saw them, caught up with them, and joined them. But it says one of the strange things in this whole account that they were kept from recognizing him. Now, other people weren't kept from recognizing him. As I said, 500 people saw him. They knew this is Jesus. Now, it was a resurrected Jesus. He had died, and he had a brand-new body. It was kind of Jesus 2.0, but, but it was a resurrected body, the kind of body that could just appear, walk through walls, that, the kind of body that still had the scars in it but could one day just go up into heaven, a body that would never be sick again, that would never die again, a body like we're going to get one day, we who believe in Christ, but they didn't recognize him. Now, 
It could have been that Jesus just prevented them from recognizing him for his own reasons and his own designs. But I want to speculate just for a moment. They had been through trauma. Have you been through trauma in your life? Have you been through something so traumatic where someone you love, someone you cared about, someone that you, you hope to be with dies? And this trauma, I think, was so intense that it had an effect on their ability to see, to understand, to recognize. I've had trauma in my life. And I can testify to you that your brain doesn't work right, that things you could see before you can't see clearly. I think perhaps they were prevented from seeing him by their own trauma. And life's failures can do that. Life's failures can stop us from seeing Jesus, from seeing who he is and understanding that he is with us. Their hopes had been dashed. They felt like God had failed them. And the story teaches us that it can be the same in our life, that maybe this morning you're having a real hard time seeing Jesus, seeing that he's with you, seeing that he's a part of your life. And maybe the problem is you've been hurt. Maybe there have been difficulties and hurts and failures in your life. Maybe your mind has been clouded from being able to really see that he's with you. But what we learn from the story is that whether you see him or not, he's there. Whether you can view clearly that it is Christ, he is with you. Now, this disciple, we're going to learn in a few minutes, his name is Cleopas. And we never hear of him before this, but Jesus chooses to come to this man, Cleopas, and somebody else who we don't even know their name. Some Bible researchers think that maybe this other person is his wife. We don't know. But he comes to them, those that have been devastated, those that have been let down, those who've had a traumatic experience. And it says, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still. Faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But... We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Their hopes had been shattered. It didn't turn out like we thought it would. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find the body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Do you find this account fascinating? I do. I find it fascinating that Jesus doesn't just come up and say, it's me. <laughs> Guys, it's me. Don't be downcast. Don't be bummed out. Don't be sad. It's going to work out great. Here I am. I know you're having a problem seeing me, but it's me. I'm alive again. Rejoice. I am risen. And they all say, you are risen indeed. He doesn't do that. He allows them to give a voice to their pain. He waits for the good news for them to process the bad news. 
He waits for them to talk about why they were disappointed, what disappointed them, why they're grieving, why their faces are downcast. He invites them to talk about their pain. And you know, there's great value in that. God knows that. And God is never upset when you voice your pain to him. I mean, Jesus is just going to listen. He's going to wait. He's going to wait till they tell him everything they're disappointed in, all their hurts, all their pains. Get it all out. Give a name to it. I think when you're in prayer someplace and you tell Jesus all your hurts, I think he's delighted in it. I think he's delighted for you to give a voice and a name to every one of them. He listens for a while. But then after they've said enough, after they've talked enough, after they've gotten out everything that happened and all their disappointments, he says something to them that in, in the English sounds a little harsh, but it, it really wasn't in the original languages. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory. Better translation is just, guys, you don't understand. And because you don't understand, you're hurting really, really bad. It was because Jesus listened to them long enough that he realized a lot of their pain came about because they were hoping for something that wasn't reality. They mistakenly thought that to redeem Israel meant to overthrow the Romans, meant to, to uh, establish power again. It was a political thing, establish power again to the people of Israel. But that wasn't what the Scriptures talked about. They didn't understand it correctly. They'd had some false teaching, and the false teaching led to their disappointment. I've been a pastor a long time. I've been in the ministry in some capacity, there's a traveling evangelist, a pastor, for 40 years. And I want to tell you what I've seen. I've seen a whole lot of people hurt, bitterly hurt, because they had wrong expectations. Because some well-meaning Christian told them that if you just believe in Jesus, then it's all going to be fine. If you just believe in Jesus, then these promises are yours. God's going to make sure you're healthy and wealthy and beautiful and very popular. That all comes with believing in Jesus. And when those things don't happen, when they're let down, when someone disappoints them, when they're wounded by someone in church, when they prayed for something that didn't happen, when they trusted God to save the life of their friend and their friend died, they're kind of like Cleopas and this other person. Their misunderstanding of God's promises just added to the grief and the pain that life brings to all of us. You know, Jesus did promise us some things. I'll give you three of them. Number one, he promised us that we would have a hard life. How about that? He said, in the world, you will have tribulation that's a promise it's true now we in america we have it better than people in other times we in this century have it better than people that lived through the uh, bubonic plague and all of that but uh, we do have a hard life jesus said we would and we do but second he promised that we could have joy in the middle 
of hard times. He promised that we could have joy, not happiness. He didn't promise us happiness. Happiness is dependent on happenings. And if every good thing happens, oh, everyone loves me, it's great, I got a raise, and I can have happiness. He didn't promise that. He promised joy, this deep-seated joy on the inside in the middle of all of life's troubles. I can have joy because I'm forgiven. I can have joy because uh, God loves me. I can have joy because he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I can have joy because I'm part of a community, a family of God where we love one another and, and encourage one another. I can have joy. He also promised us that when this life was over, we can have heaven. That heaven awaits all who believe in Jesus, a place where there is no more sadness and joy. I mean, sadness and suffering. Those are the promises. He'll never disappoint you. He'll give you those three things in heaven at the end. Cleopas needed to understand what the Scriptures really said, and so do we. And so it says in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. If you don't understand it properly, you'll be disappointed with this experience of serving God. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. This account is really the story of two meals. There was a meal eaten many years ago in a garden by Adam and Eve. It was a meal of rebellion. It was a meal of deciding they weren't going to obey God. And when they ate that meal, when Adam and Eve ate that meal, their eyes were opened, but their eyes were opened to sin. And the relationship with God was broken and kept being broken until Christ came. But here, after the resurrection, is a second meal, a meal that Jesus sits to eat with these followers. And their eyes are opened, not to sin but to the solution to sin. Their eyes are open to see that Christ is the Savior of the world. We're going to take a meal right now. Worship team, would you return? We're going to take a meal this morning. We're going to take communion with Jesus. He told us to do this. He said that we should gather and do this and do it in remembrance of him that we should take bread, and you at home, please join us. Get some bread and get something to drink, some juice. We should take bread, and we should do it in remembrance of him. And my prayer is this. For some of you, as you take this meal with Jesus, you'll be able to recognize him. That if he is... If he has been clouded, the view of him has been clouded, you'll be able to see clearly. And for others, my prayer is that your heart will be warmed again to see him, just like it was with Cleopas. 
So open up the cup, please, to the top. Father, we thank you that we can take this today. And Lord, I pray for some that are watching at home, some that are here. God, that their eyes would be open during this meal and they would see that you've never left them, you've never forsaken them, you've been with them the entire time. God, that no matter what the trauma has been in their life, you've never forsaken them. And God, with others, I pray that their hearts would be warmed again to believe, to see you. So the Scripture says that when Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Let's take that bread now. Lord, we thank you for your body broken for us. God, it was the only way we could be forgiven. It was the only way we could see. It was the only way our cold hearts could be warmed again. God, it was the only way, Father. It said he also that night took the cup. So let's go ahead and open up our cup. Then after he had prayed, he gave it to them to drink. And he said, drink this. This is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. And God, as we drink this, we remember the blood of Christ, the most precious blood that could ever be poured out, was poured out for our sin. We thank you. Amen. And Lord, we thank you that the stone was rolled away 2,000 years ago, that the resurrected body of Christ came out to prove that everything he said was true and to give us new life. And Lord, beyond that, I thank you that you're still rolling stones away today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet, please, everyone.